This is a recording from Reunions Weekend 2009 at the University of Virginia, made possible by the university's Office of Engagement. What can alumni, who are leaders of organizations, do to create healthy work environments? The hallmarks of a healthy work environment include skilled communication, true collaboration, and meaningful recognition. Dory Fontaine, Dean of the School of Nursing, explores what a universal healthy work environment can be and how best to achieve it in the challenging workplaces of today. Whether you're in healthcare or not, I think this is a universal topic. And um, it's been my passion for many, many years. I've been a nurse since 1972, but I think I've always looked for a healthy work environment. I've always wanted to be in one. I've actually run from a couple that have not been healthy. I'll use the word toxic. And so I think a lot of what I'll say has some universal application. One of the things about a healthy work environment for me in academia, being brand new here to the University of Virginia, I wanted to make sure that it was a healthy work environment in my own school because a healthy work environment means a healthy learning environment for students. So I have a picture there of me with, with the students as well. And, you know, I think the reason we exist is to take good care of our students. So a lot of my passion now um, outside of the hospital in the academic arena is really to make a healthy work environment for my faculty and staff so that it can be a great learning environment for students and then it translates into incredible patient and family care which is what it's all about so some of the objectives you know you can't be a teacher unless you have objectives right? so I wanted to look at the universal goal of a healthy work environment and again my examples happen to come from nursing but also academia Then look at the link between patient safety ineffective communication nursing shortage and unhealthy work environments, and explore my association, AACN, American Association of Critical Care Nurses, I was their president in 03-04, look at their standards for a healthy work environment, and we did something called the Silence Kills Study when I was president, and I wanted to share that with you as well. So, <clears throat> I always show this slide and ask people what they see. Um, most people look at it and say, I see a dog, right? But where is the dog? Arresting on a patient's bed, and this is one of my students who's now up at Johns Hopkins. Actually, she's at Sinai in Baltimore in the Children's Center there. This young girl died about a week after this picture was taken, and her mother, her mother asked um, my former student, you know, if you can get this out and tell people about having patient family environment, patient friendly environments where, you know, the rules go out the window, or we make new rules, we make new rules. And so I always show it as an example of how we should, you know, make the rules, break the rules, and make places that are healthy environments for our people that we serve, as well as the nurses. So this girl ended up dying. She was 18 years old. She had a remission, but then had leukemia, come back strong, and she died right after this picture was taken. But when this pet therapy dog, it wasn't her own dog, it was a pet therapy dog who was brought in, and Laura, the girl, always seemed to calm down when Maddie was on the bed. And so my former student was asked, would you please bring the dog in more? You know, and so she spent a lot of time at the end of Laura's life. So, and it is about breaking the rules because there will still be people we bump into and still be people that we, I mean, they just go, they just go nuts. They, people just go nuts, you know? But if this is your daughter and it's her last days and this dog would make for comfortable, do you see how we really need, and that's what we need to always say to ourselves, or is this environment right for the workers? Is it right for the people we serve? 
You know, we really need to ask ourselves questions. So we looked at, in my association, we looked at what really is a healthy work environment. We looked at the literature a lot. Why, I want to answer, why did we embark on this journey of healthy work environment and how does it affect the people we serve as well as our um, wonderful staff and our physician colleagues? And what can all of us do to ensure a healthy work environment wherever, wherever we are? So just a little bit about variations in nursing practice. This was a big study that was done in Pennsylvania a couple of years ago now, and it showed that out of the 156 hospitals in the state of Pennsylvania, only 17% had a favorable environment. Now you would think it would be a little bit higher. Five of six hospitals are targets for improvement, and magnet hospitals, which is a hospital that's designated by the American Nurses Association as a good place to work. Anybody work in a magnet hospital? Okay. <clears throat> Magnet hospitals have a lot more markers, many things that I'm going to be talking about today. And we often tell our new graduates when they leave the University of Virginia, look for a Magnet hospital. Magnet hospitals have a much more favorable environment because they are healthier. So we did some work looking at some focus groups from the past and from the present and asked about, think about a situation or a time in your career in which you were in a healthy or an unhealthy work environment. We collected some data and there were lots of themes that echoed the literature. And I wanted to run through these. I'm going to call this the universal healthy work environment. And this is work that's been done by um, the American Organization of Nurse Execs. But I think, again, it, it is universal, as you'll see. So the first tenet of a healthy work environment is employees feel valued, supported, and respected. And as I'm talking, if you think about putting your, wherever you are, kind of do the mental audit about your own environment and how healthy it is. Teams are acknowledged. Leadership is credible, competent, and visible. <clears throat> Relationships are the currency of the work. Everyone is expected to grow and develop. And my favorite story is a woman named, <clears throat> excuse me, Linda Burns Bolton at Cedar Sinai, which is affiliated with UCLA. Her hospital, big hospital, you know, hospital to the stars in Hollywood, you know. What she has is a policy where everyone gets money in their pocket if they go back to school for anything. So that would be an RN going to get a master's, master's to PhD. Everyone gets another 5%. Then if you're certified, another 5%. Certified in anything. So certification in anything. And then finally, if you have a unit goal, let's say you're working in the emergency department and the pain scores have been bad for the last couple of months. Well, if you increase those as an entire unit, docs, nurses, you know, housekeeping, everybody, everybody gets another 5%, do you see? So if you work there as a nurse, you can make 15% more in your paycheck every year by doing those three things. So that's putting your money where your mouth is with a healthy work environment. Quality and pride in what is produced, that people talk really positively about what is produced. So that my faculty would say, we produce the most stunning nursing graduates in the, in the world. Why don't we just have a big stretch goal? I think that's true, actually. Other pieces of a healthy worker environment are that there has to be a balance between your work life and home life. I've got a lot of graduate students in their late 20s and early 30s who, frankly, they look a little bit like this. They're working, and they're working those three 12-hour shifts, and they're coming to school. Sometimes they're working nights, and then they have to come to a 9 o'clock class, you know. So we really need to talk to people about having some balance in their life. And everybody is craving this. I think they're craving balance even more than money these days. People want time. People want to have time to even do volunteer work, be with their family, right? What a concept. People want that. So is this healthy work environment stuff? Is this just fluff? Is this just nice, you know? Or does it really have life and death implications? The fact is, 
in hospital settings, it has life and death complications. I would bet if you're in a toxic big business somewhere too, it could have some life and death complications too in terms of stress, cardiac disease. But I'm going to just share with you a little bit about this data that says if a nurse has eight patients, or actually four patients instead of eight, all right, then the odds on dying are reduced by 18%. So you have to be thinking about that. This has to do with the nursing shortage in the country and how nurses, we really need more nurses, and if they're, in, say, in a acute care hospital, they should be taking care of fewer patients, not more. If we have more educated nurses, like we do here at Virginia, bachelors as opposed to an associate degree, the odds on dying are, are reduced, and that seems like a no-brainer. More education is a good. A better versus poor environment, I'll explain what that is, but the whole combination leads to almost 50% reduced risk of death. So a healthy work environment is actually not just fluff. And I would venture to say in fields other than nursing, it's also probably um, could be life or death. So here is what makes up a better work environment. <clears throat> Good doctor-nurse relationships, flexible schedules, that people can really choose when they want to work. You know, nurses, it's 24-7, 365 days. And I remember the days where you worked two weekends on and had one off, and, you know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's, we'll just pick one. Pick one that you might want to see your family. Um, and some of those things have really changed now. Um, RNs are involved in hospital governance. We have strong preceptor programs, so you're not just thrown to the winds. And nursing, we expect people to come out on day one, right, Pat? That you are just ready to go, and here's your patient assignment, and good luck. <clears throat> and so we have to do a better job with some mentoring there. And finally, the clinically competent teams. Everybody wants to work with people that know what they're doing or will admit it when they don't. So <clears throat> ACN came up with standards for a healthy work environment because we had a, we, we're still in a terrible nursing shortage, although the economy is masking it a little bit now. But it's just a little bubble. We're still in an incredible um, shortage. And so we decided rather than go to fourth graders and high schools and say, come join us as nurses, that's actually not the problem. We're getting plenty of people to want to become nurses now. What happens is after one to two years, sometimes they want to leave because they go, I can't believe that um, you can really work like this and it's not safe. So we decided to come up with standards for a healthy work environment because the whole nation was riveted by more um, deaths due to patient safety, more errors and conflict among healthcare personnel, which I'll talk about. And just that whole negative demoralizing workplaces, you know, we just really shouldn't, shouldn't have them. And we shouldn't expect that people will tolerate them. So smart, bright nurses like UVA grads would go out and work for a year or two and say, well, this is crazy, you know. We don't need to work like this. Here are the elements of a healthy work environment. I'll spend more time on the first two because they are really the linchpins. If you think about an environment that you've been in that hasn't been that healthy, it's almost invariably due to what? Communication poor communications, or you work with colleagues that didn't seem to care, and a lot of it is about communication. The other ones are collaboration, decision-making, appropriate staffing, meaningful recognition, and authentic leadership. And I'll, like I said, run through these, but I'll spend most time on this first one. So our standard for this is nurses have to be proficient, as proficient in communication skills as they are in clinical skills. And in nursing, we spend a lot of time how to put in the catheter, how to do the IV, you know, even new grads are very much into the uh, technical skills and, you know, they have to learn that, but most important, more important is how you talk with patients and families, how you interact with your colleagues, how you tell somebody that you made a mistake, how you tell somebody um, that, you know, you've got six other patients and you promise you'll be in there soon. 
Do you know, it's, it's a lot more about communication. We did a study called Silence Kills that I wanted to share with you. We presented it in, a couple of years ago at a press conference with the Joint Commission. And it's got a sexy title of Silence Kills because we decided, based on looking at uh, data from across the country in 5,000 hospitals, that um, communication errors were indeed, co communication mishaps were indeed killing patients. A lot of this work had been picked up. We worked, partnered with the people that wrote these books, Crucial Conversations. If you've ever seen them, they're really wonderful. This one, particular red one, Crucial Conversations, um, Kerry Patterson and his colleagues, and then Crucial Confrontations. So the Silence Kills study, the purpose was to look at specific concerns that people had, had a tough time communicating that contribute to um, errors. We interviewed over 1,000 nurses, physicians, administrators, and here's what we found. We found that half of nurses were concerned about a peer's competence. Now this again is in the hospital setting. And guess how many spoke up? Only 12% really spoke up and shared this. Almost three-fourths of physicians were concerned about another physician's competence. And what do you think that percentage is of people who spoke up? Pretty tiny. Somebody said five. Less than 1%. The data says that less than 1% speak up. And yet, if their child was having surgery, who would they send them to, right? Or if they were asked for a referral, where, who should I go to? They would know exactly which place to send them, right? Right? So this is all about speaking up, which is why we call this study Silence Kills. 80% of physicians were concerned about a nurse's competence. That seems a lie to me. Not happy. But only 8% spoke up. And the data about nurses, about 34% of nurses are concerned about a physician's competence. And what do you think this number is for speaking up? Less than 1%. Okay? So here we are. The biggest infection risk in the country, I'm talking, look at my infection control nurse once more with feeling. Um, hand washing is the prevention, and how often do we hold each other accountable? We're telling, what, the patient and their family now, make sure your doctor and nurse wash their hands. But is that the right approach? I mean, it's one approach, but is that the right approach to let them have the guilt? You know, my relative got um, infected because people didn't wash their hands. So why don't nurses speak up? Well, they say, I don't have the skills. I don't know exactly what to say. I want to, but I will also want to be a good colleague. And if I speak up, people might not want to help me anymore. When people say I won't speak up because it's not my job, forget that one. All of us, doctors, nurses, every, we've all taken this code of ethics, which says absolutely we're the patient advocate. So we have to speak up. Now, if you're an elementary school teacher, or if you're in business, there are implications for this as well. If you're working with a, a colleague as a teacher who's maybe not treating the children right, I mean, there's reasons to speak up and not just say, well, it's not in my classroom or it's not in my business unit. Do you know? This is having a broad view about our role in society. But the worst thing a nurse could say about this data <clears throat> or why they don't speak up, is that if I did speak up, it won't make a difference anyway. That, to me, is the definition of an unhealthy, toxic work environment. And if you can't find a way to work your way through that, then you probably have to leave. <clears throat> and this is my favorite quote. Our lives begin to end the day we become silent about things that matter, you know, about speaking up. Every day there's something in my job as a dean that I need to be speaking up about. And yeah, sure, I want to be a dean that everybody loves, but there's times I have to tell people tough news. But it's my job. I can't say, oh, well, then they won't like me. Do you know? <clears throat> so I think Martin Luther King, he had, the right, he had the right statement there. 
All right, the next standard, so think about your own work setting. How is the communication in that setting? And can it be better? And do people speak up? And that, these books, that Crucial Conversations, really talks about how to go about doing it. Speaking from the heart, having mutual intent, showing that you really care. You know, it's really hard for some of my faculty to hear me say tough things to them, but it helps a lot when I say, boy, I really love you. I think you are so fabulous. And then I go into, but by the way, here's a few things we got to work on, and I'm going to help you. You know, there's a, diff there's a different way to say things. This one is about collaboration, again, working together across organizations. This one says nurses have to be relentless in pursuing and fostering collaboration. So you can't say, well, we get along with everybody except this one cardiac surgeon. You know, you've got to get to know them. You've absolutely, they've got kids, they've got to get to soccer practice. They're not being disrespectful on purpose. Um, although, you know, that's another topic. But we also have colleagues everywhere we work, right? Every, and you've got to get to know them. You've absolutely got to get to know them, which I've made a commitment to get to know my 135 faculty and staff. <clears throat> this is a good colleague from San Francisco, Bob Wachter, who's written a book about patient safety called Internal Bleeding. If you want to stay up late at night, I mean, this is kind of a scary, it's all true stories. A lot of them happened in our, in our hospital at UCSF. He says, yet for two groups, nurses and docs who've historically and necessarily worked closely together, there's still remarkably little understanding and appreciation of each other's roles, which is why from day one, I've been talking about interprofessional education for nurses and physicians and everyone on the healthcare team. He has this statement, plays well with others, should be a category on the scorecard for evaluating medical as well as nursing professionals. You know, how well you collaborate is really important, and we need to be teaching it. So the three A's of collaboration, again, I think they're universal. Billy, you have got to know what you're doing. In nursing, I think there's only two kinds, those who are certified and have spent extra time learning their craft and those who are about to be certified. Um, affability, you know, niceness is really underrated, you know? It's underrated. And I know people are busy and people are multitasking, but I tell you, they evaluate the whole hospital experience by how friendly the unit secretary was, you know? I go into hospitals when I was president of AACN. Big ones, Cleveland clinics, little teeny ones, Mad River Hospital in Eureka, California, you know, 25, 50 beds. And I would find stop signs on windows of the ice, on the, like the door of the ICU. Now, how friendly is this? Do you know? Contrast that with a hospital in Baltimore, St. Joseph's, that on their, you know, ICU door, not a giant stop sign, but a sign that says, Welcome to the ICU. You are intimately involved in the care of your loved one. Please contact the nurse and come in. Do you know that's completely different than the stop sign? And finally is availability. You've got to be present, available to people. If you're a nurse manager, you've got to be out and about. You can't be sitting in your office. <clears throat> so I found this quote a couple of years ago. It's by a philosopher, and I thought it really characterized how we relate to everyone, but I picked the two relationships that we have, nurses and physicians. It says, on one very cold day, several porcupines huddled close together for warmth because their spines made proximity uncomfortable. They spread out again and grew cold, and after shuffling in and out for some time, they eventually found a distance at which they could warm each other without getting pricked. And to me, that's about collaborating, at least in healthcare, and I think in other areas. It's about getting to know people, figuring out how close can you get, how far, um, so that you can really work together. Because it's not appropriate to not speak up because you're intimidated or because of some hierarchy. 
All right, so those are the two biggest standards for a healthy work environment, communication, collaboration. If you can focus on those, or if you can say they're healthy where you are, then you're probably in a good place. Effective decision-making, I'll just go through these others kind of quickly. Nurses have to be valued and committed partners in making policy and directing and leading clinical care and operations. This is where nurses and docs are at the same level in organizations. Stephen Dukoski, new dean of medicine. Dory Fontaine, new dean of nursing. I figure we are in charge of education equally for the next generation of people that are going to take care of, hello, all of us in this room. So it behooves us to do things together to make sure that um, it happens. Appropriate staffing. This is about patient care. Staffing has to ensure the effective match between patient needs and nurse competencies. I came from California most recently. They mandate, you know, the, the legislator mandates ratios. I think it's so bizarre because the nurse at the bedside, the charge nurse, should be the one to do that. But to me, nursing is like a drug. <clears throat> I don't mean we take drugs or do. Nursing is a drug, and we need to titrate it just like we would anything else. And the effective dose of the nurse care is the dose that allows what you see in this picture, which is listening. The nurse has enough time in this picture to be listening, sitting and listening to this elderly patient. And when we don't have enough time to do that, then we need more nurses or we need more healthcare providers. Meaningful recognition, nurses have to be recognized and must recognize others for the value each brings to the work of the organization. You know, this is not the mug on Nurses' Day. In fact, actually, I wish we'd get rid of Nurses' Day or, or I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but I think we should be recognizing each other every day, you know, patting each other on the back, saying good things, you know. Someone told me of an experience when they were a nurse manager that they would go to work, they would have 10 pennies in their right pocket. <clears throat> and as they would go in in the morning, they would be saying something good to every single person. And by 9 or 10 a.m., every time they said something really positive, they'd put a penny in the other pocket. And by 9 or 10 a.m., they wanted to be done with their pennies. So that means you're walking in and you're saying hello to everybody. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, your patient's family or a physician that you work with, just saying something positive, do you know? It can really change the tone of a, tone of a unit. And what about your workplace, you know? People tell me who work in um, conflict resolution that they often have lawsuits over, you know, the good morning factor, you know? Well, she didn't say good morning to me. The next thing you know, they're writing up this whole scenario in their head about, well, they don't like me and they're doing this, and, you know, it, it just kind of spirals. And I think some of you might work in settings where that's the case, and so you have to address it. So we need to thank each other every day. This is especially important with our new grads, people that we're putting out. You know, people have said now there's four generations in the workplace, and sometimes there's some tensions. You know, we have nurses that are up into their late 60s and 70s, and sometimes when the 23-year-olds come in, <clears throat> um, you know, they think that there can be a little bit of a clash. So we have to talk about these things. I think the energy and new thinking that the young people bring in is really incredible, and they actually will help us with some of our old ways. And finally, nurse leaders have to fully embrace the imperative of a healthy work environment. You have to know what it is, know what it looks like, and authentically live it and engage others in its achievement. So wherever you are, you have to be talking about a healthy work environment. So when I interview everybody who works with me, and they'll say, well, you know, this one doesn't talk to that one. I don't have a lot of that, but I have some of it. But don't, don't, don't worry. It doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't affect anything. And I'm like, well, if we were in the hospital, it could kill somebody. 
if people don't talk to each other. So I said, I said, you need to come back and see me in four weeks because I want to hear about how this is getting better. Oh, don't say anything. I said, well, so I am all over this person. She's actually been in my office three times. <clears throat> and I think we're making progress. Somebody said they saw these two in a car recently together and they were both laughing. I said, see, so you can make progress. I know that sounds simple, but truly we need to be encouraging people to be speaking up, be the best selves they can be, because there's enough tension in all our work sites, so we don't need to create any more. So lastly, I wanted to mention a little bit about mentoring. I think it's everybody's job in the work site to be helping and mentoring someone else. <clears throat> this one says, the mediocre teacher tells, the good teacher explains, the superior teacher demonstrates, but the great teacher inspires. And that's what all of our people that are coming into the workforce, everybody's looking for an environment where they'll find somebody to help inspire them and not just tell them, well, here's how we do things here. There's nothing people hate worse than, well, this is the way we do it here, you know? So to have a healthier hospital or a healthier workplace, wherever you are, um, I think we just have to start the conversation, have the dialogue. And what this says is, what conversation, if we started today, would have the greatest impact on creating meaningful change in our environment? So if you're in any setting where you think it could be better, or you think, you know, people could, maybe it's just something as simple as having more fun at work. I know I, in San Francisco, I was in charge of a whole student affairs group of about 13 people. And they just kept telling me, oh, it's great, it's great. I'd come from Georgetown. And, I, and you know, it looked like everything was fine. But I heard a couple of people at 4 o'clock a couple of days go, oh, my God, thank God. It's all, you know, I can't wait to get out of here. I, so I raised that with the manager. I said, you know, I think this is, a, this is an issue, you know, if people can't wait to leave. Now, granted, I'm thrilled when it's Friday, too, you know. <clears throat> but this is kind of, I said, you know, I think we need to do something. And oh, don't do anything. If you talk to people, you know, don't take the lid off. Everything's fine. So with the help of a facilitator, I put the managers together and listened to their issues and concerns. I put all the, all the workers, people that did all our admissions, all our progressions, all the paperwork. And they were unions, so they truly were there 8 to 4. They weren't allowed to be there till 5 after 4. Amazing. California is another country, those of you that are, know about California. But I listened to the workers, um, and I wrote down all their concerns, and they were so basic and simple and minor after 15 years, some of them, that then I put both groups back together, and we made incredible change. I, and I, I was there for six years, but I'm telling you, people would go out smiling. And they were small things that we did, but nobody wanted to talk about it, you know. And that's not even healthcare; that's an academic setting. So I guarantee you there's things in everybody's setting where you can just say, you know, I think things could be better around here. I have an idea. Could we talk about it? Do you know? Most people, most people don't choose to do that. Um, and so one of the things I did in California was we had a huge hospital, 26 units, you know, 800 patients, and I went to every single unit talking about a healthy work environment, every single unit. And we would do a skit about a patient that had died at our hospital because a nurse and a physician, a nurse and a physician had not communicated. Patient died on the way to the OR. <clears throat> the nurse knew and kept trying to get the doc's attention, and the nurse never really used the right words to get his attention. So the patient died on the way to the OR, 50 years old. So I think this whole communication business, this was in 2001, right before I got to San Francisco. So I think it is life and death, you know? Communication, I don't want to say being nice, but you know, a lot of it is being open, being able to listen and hear what others have to say, 
and creating the kind of environment where you want to work in or you want your children to work in or your family members. You know? So I'm going to stop there. Well, you guys have been great to be here on a beautiful sunny day outside. Thank you so much and uh, good luck to you. Thank you. Thank you.